0: Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Politics in the Pulpit, a luxury-based preaching resource designed to ask the provocative question of whether, and if so, how politics should appear in our preaching this week. My name is Leela Dell and I'm a minister in the United Reformed Church, where I am currently serving in an ecumenical setting in Cardiff. And this week is a little different. It is the last in the series of politics in the pulpit for this year. And so this this episode is our handover episode where I am gonna hand over uh, the reins to Jeffrey Farah. Jeffrey is a Methodist minister in Putney in Southwest London. Before he was ordained, he served for 10 years in the House of Commons as a clerk As a clerk, one of the permanent secretariat at Parliament, he worked with select committees and in the legislation service and was able to see how politics affected every area of our society. He is committed to connecting how we pray, read our scripture to how we vote and live. And so, Geoffrey, welcome for your first episode. Uh, Thank you. Do you want to tell us a bit more? Expand a bit more on that. It sounds like you've had such an interesting run up into ministry. How you came into ministry from being from that job?
1: Yeah, so I was um, ten years at Parliament, and and nobody ever understood what I did, including my including my own mother, bless her. Um, <laughs> so I was a I was what's called a clerk, and um. Uh, Interestingly, clerk and cleric come from the same root. It means somebody who basically who can read and write. And when Parliament started back in the 14th century, they worked out pretty soon that they needed people who could read and write, because a lot of people, including a lot of members of Parliament, couldn't. And so the jobs of the clerk was uh, to make Parliament work. And we still get a sense of that in, uh, in our way we talk about... Um, legislation today by having readings of bills so mm. we talk about first reading second reading third reading and that comes from the fact that literally the clerk would have to read out what was being said because some people couldn't read it couldn't understand it so um clerks aren't they don't work for a particular party we're not researchers that was people often said oh do you work for an mp or do you do? No, we work for all we worked for all mps um, and the best way of describing it they're the people who sit in front of the speaker if you okay. see uh, that the boss the head the head clerks they sit in front of the speaker and they're the ones when when things are going wrong they'll lean back and whisper things to the speaker <laughs> and they're the sort of the, the the memory of parliament they advise on precedent they advise on how things should be done and it was a really fascinating job and it was a great insight into how politics it was i always said it was like it, we were in politics without being in politics so we yeah. worked very closely with uh, mps and ministers and others but we were never tied to a particular party and we didn't have to abide by a particular doctrine
0: oh okay that sounds really interesting
1: so um and and i think i think some there were certainly some transferable skills to ministry <laughs> yeah <terms> <laughs> being diplomatic and knowing when to speak and when keep silent. <laughs> um, and it was, it was, I was very privileged in what I saw. Uh, and, you know, I was there during um, uh, days uh, leading up to the Iraq war uh, and wow. the Foreign affairs committee then. And the aftermath of the, that that war and the aftermath of the, Afghanistan, leading into the MP's expenses crisis, then leading into the financial crisis. So, um saw some interesting things I think my colleagues who stayed in have seen even more interesting days since with the um <laughs> especially this year with the uh with the uh yes. the revolving door of prime ministers
0: yeah absolutely and so how did you go from that job into uh a quarter ministry
1: well I'd always I'm, I'm a cradle Methodist as, as they say or well uh cradle Christian and um uh, I grew up in a Methodist church in the church going family and I'd always been closely connected and uh, we were just talking before now I, I had um, uh, I went to Cardiff University and I was part of an excellent meth sock there and um, I, I've always been a member of a church and latterly um, I, I had felt a call to serve and I felt within our ministry we have a call to local preaching to lay mm-hmm. preaching so I was able to continue my job and 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 preach as well and train to be a preacher but then I did feel that like many of us we talk about uh, uh what's it um an itch you can't scratch yeah yeah um, and I, I thought this this is I feel more I feel this thing that I'm doing in my spare time is more important than what I'm doing in my in my day job sometimes and is and that 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 the, um, the crucial word vocation. I felt really yeah. called. I felt that these were my callings. That the things that I was being called to do on Sunday and leading worship—that is where that was the groove I fitted. Yeah. Um, and it was hard. It was h- very hard leaving that world and that the world of Westminster is. It is a bubble. It is a very you know. Uh, it is its own little world within a world um and um but I felt that looking back that I had been prepared better prepared for ministry by coming having that coming through that path than if perhaps if I'd just gone straight in
0: yeah 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 that that's something of having that life experience before um going into uh Ministry, ministerial training, kind of full time, I think is really helpful. Yeah. Um, and so it seems a fairly nonsensical question. Sorry, I just got the post. Yeah.
1: Okay, great. It's all, it's my, I um, my, was just saying it's my son's birthday today. So the postman are going berserk and uh, <laughs> delivering packages.
0: <laughs> so it feels a little bit kind of a nonsensical question, but politics in the pulpit. What does that mean for you then? Um, I guess, is it after having that kind of training and experience and, and lived kind of employment there, does that feel louder for you, do you think? Or um, do you think it's you've created distance from it, from being, straddling kind of both worlds really?
1: I think it's given me both a sense of perspective and a sense of the importance of politics. Yeah. Um, I have to be careful there's that that there's that um I'm sure didn't been discussed on this program before the idea of having the bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. Yeah. I am passionate about that. That I get a lot, some I get some kickback from that some okay. from the, some congregation say all we want is the bible all we want is the word. Yes. And You know, and sometimes you have to go with that and you have to be careful. And But we are people in the world. We are called to be salt in the world. And whether we like it or not, we are in that world. And my 10 years in politics, my experiences subsequently, have shown me that politics affects every aspect of our life and we cannot separate it. And when we do separate it, when people say politics is something that happens over there, it's all about political parties. I'm not political, as I'm sure we've all heard. Um, yeah. That sort of gets my goat because it's not true. Because mm-hmm. the minute you step outside your house, the postman coming to the door, the fact that he works for a privatised company now is a political decision. I go out of my door, the parking, the, the whether the leaves are collected, my son's school, everything everything is determined by politics and mm. we as christians have got to be present in that world yes yeah. sort of the another, another sort of strand to my lack of strand to my life is that i'm doing a very very part-time phd at um the university of roehampton which is about 10 minutes from here um with a good uh, southlands college which is part of the university's good connection to the Methodist Church, Methodist Foundation. And I'm, do, I'm, I'm doing my PhD on um around the area of the books of the Maccabees, the intertestamental. Okay. And you see how the world of politics, politics didn't begin in the 20th century with parliamentary, no. you, you know, with the emancipation of women or anything like that. Politics has been present throughout history. Politics determined the world into which Jesus was born. And, and I always say this, Jesus dealt with politicians every day. And we they had funny names like ethnarch or high priest or kings or whatever, yeah. but they were politicians. And
0: yeah. I
1: always say politicians nailed Jesus to a cross um, mm-hmm. because they didn't want to listen to the things he said. So our scriptures are our grounded. Our, our, Are witnessing to God, a God who is present in the world, a God who's imminent, a God who is incarnate. And that means dealing with politics, whether we like it or not. Yeah.
0: No, absolutely. If not, we're in danger of, as churches, to kind of becoming even more distanced from Mm. um, the public square and from uh, society and and understanding um, where people are and, 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 and the decisions that affect their lives. Yeah. Um, and I think that we've become distant um, through not ca- kind of acknowledging the fact that all of this is one, that, that we are all affected um, differently, but we are all affected by political structures, that they, that determine Um, In in some cases, you know, what we've got and what we haven't got. And Mm -hmm. and when life is at that level, then it's our responsibility to be able to speak into that or at least offer offer faith into that space rather than keeping them very separate, keeping it a kind of Sunday morning faith, Mm -hmm. um, which... Arguably, I think church models want there's a sense in trying to hold on to it because there was high numbers and things Mm. when um, when church was kind of just a bigger part of our society. But then arguably it's dropped out of society because it's not been part of our society all at the same time. And it's finding that tension, I think, between being able to speak into these things but also being able to offer hope into these things where perhaps hope is difficult to find um, in other realms such as that you know, the houses of Parliament and things like. Mm-hmm. It's not felt like a place of hope or a beacon of hope has it for this last certainly 12 months and you know, I dare say before that, but um yeah, it's it's a really, I think interesting and, and unique role that we play in this.
1: I think the key word you said there is tension. Yeah. Because we we have to maintain, we have to be, as Christ said, you know, salt in the world cannot lose its saltiness. Yes. And um one thing I often reflect upon is um the history of within my own tradition, the Methodist tradition. And famously it was said that um, the Labour Party owed more to Methodism than Marxism. And within the Methodist movement, the Methodist movement, we would say, gave birth to the trade union movement and helped birth the Labour Party. And within Methodist, what what we could see happening, especially the late 19th century, early 20th century, was some people who were supremely motivated by that call to change the world uh, in the gospels they went into the trade union movement and into the Labour Party, and some of them abandoned their faith pretty much, because they said the way of salvation, the way to make the world better is through political action. Um, And that led to a reaction from the evangelical movement, we say, who said, right, we're having nothing to do with politics because it just leads people away from God. And you're saying that salvation lies through Marxism, through revolution, through political power. And we're not having anything to do with that. And that led to that disconnection, Mm -hmm. uh, you might say. And it's only really recently. And this is why I think within the Christian tradition, you have people who are very reluctant for us to be engaged with politics because they've seen what happens. They say, well, it just takes people away from Christ. It's as bad as mammon. It takes people away because it says there's another solution, and and I feel that tension within myself because sometimes I say, "Oh, throw away the pulpit and all the rest of it. Let's march onto the streets and get some change going." But it's about that tension, as it you said, is, yeah. about bringing Christ to the world and the world to Christ.
0: Mm. Yeah, 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 absolutely right. And and as you alluded to earlier uh, about your passion for uh, bringing the things Mm -hmm. that are going on around us into our pulpits. Um, Our JPIT colleagues each week give us a roundup of their expertise and what they think we ought to be keeping an eye on in the world this week. And so some of the key issues that are happening around us this week, uh, the COP27 ended with some progress on loss and damage, but without, again, a clear way forward on emissions Um, And the JPIT have released a statement on that uh, yesterday, which is up on their website for people to look at. Um, The fallout from the budget about how people will still be concerned about rising living costs. And the Football World Cup has started in the midst of a lot of controversy over human rights violations which seem to be kind of picking up the headlines more than what's happening on the pitch at the moment. I know uh, last night in the Wales game, there were a few people who had tried to get in with kind of a rainbow on their tops and had been uh, asked to leave and told that they, they were not allowed to enter the stadium uh, with that. And so it's a very altogether different sense of world cup and, and, And I guess what football does in uniting people, um, it seems to be a very different prospect with this World Cup. Um, We also have our church dates. It is this week and is the beginning of Advent. Um, We also have Prisoners Week in Scotland and it is the 16 days of activism against gender violence, which begins on the 25th of November and to the 10th of december and so with all of this geoffrey with our metaphorical newspapers in one hand and our bibles in the other i wonder if there is a particular passage or a theme or a question that's jumped out from the readings this week where you'd like us to, to begin um
1: uh- yeah, I mean it's, there's not much to talk about, is there? <laughs> <laughs> um I think reflecting on the readings, yes, and, and and we're recording this late because because of my diary just went pear-shaped yesterday. Um I think the thing the the, the word that is coming to my mind is time. It's time. Okay. Um and time in lots of different ways. Um Advent, of course, is a season that yeah. uh, is about time. It's about as what we often think is a countdown yeah. season. Um, it's it's a time of when we all begin to get a little bit more stressed in the world because we're thinking, oh, we've got so much time to get presents and time to organise yeah. this. For clergy, this is. I always think this part is the absolute worst part of the year <laughs> <laughs> because there is just not enough time to do everything to prepare all the services to, to and you're constantly looking ahead thinking right how are we going to manage this how uh, and and you know how are we going to get all these services in um and our readings this week are very much about times and several of them yeah. and about that um so uh we have in the Romans reading, besides, you know, you know what time it is, how it is now the moment for you to wake from sleep. Yeah. And uh, in the Matthew, the gospel reading, but about that day and hour, no one knows neither the angels nor heaven nor the sun, but only the father. And uh, on Sunday evening, like many other churches, we've got our churches together, carol service, and we'll be having the readings like the, the parable of the, of the bridesmaids yeah. All the rest of it. So it's all about time, and within the read, within the season of Advent, within the readings, there is this timelessness to the stories. And yeah. We're telling stories that people are deeply familiar with—ancient stories about shepherds and wise men, about prophets. You know, thousands of years, hundreds of years before that. Yeah, there's this God's time, but there's also this: now is the time. Be ready now. And especially Paul, always, of course, being assistant. you must be ready now. Be prepared now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you've got all this time stuff. And then within the political sphere, we've got the challenge of time. And I just looked up before, because I had to remember who said it, but it was Harold Wilson, the prime minister, who said, a week is a long time in politics. (laughs) And we've got the issues around the budget and everything else and when I was in Parliament we saw I saw repeatedly and you can see it constantly how the challenge is to deal with the present moment and people want answers now and they want solutions now yeah. and you've got to get it by you know there are key moments in the day to, so you might get the one o'clock news you get the six o'clock news um, and at present, things are even worse with the rolling news agenda. So people constantly, you've got to have answers now, 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 now. Yeah. And repeatedly, politicians make short-term decisions because that is what people arguably want. We've mm-hmm. got to have a solution now. Yeah. And what the budget in particular, the last budget has done, unashamedly, The Jeremy Hunt, the Chancellor, has said, right, we're going to push these tax rises into a couple of years' time, coincidentally after the next election, yeah, yeah, chance <laughs> we're going to push those some of those tough decisions into the future. Forget, yeah. and we're going to try and get some things now. But the challenges we are facing nationally and especially internationally with the cops yeah. are huge, long-term problems. And if we think separate the two, so some of the problems we are facing now as a nation especially about energy, yeah. Are because of political... We have to be honest, are because of political failure. Mm. Not problems with Putin. We all know about that. Yeah. But the decisions you know, to not invest in energy. Yeah. Be- and why? Because it's such a long-term thing. Because you, if you're a politician you now, you say, right, we're going to build a power station. We're going to build lots of wind turbines, whatever. Ten, you you will see those benefits in a decade. Now yeah. you may not be in Parliament by then, and it's certainly not going to. And you're going to annoy a great deal of people first, because of course you have to build, you have to spend the money, raise yeah. taxes, you have to build pylons, you have to. So you annoy lots of people in the short term for a thing that you will never see the benefit of. Yeah, and COP brings that even more, even yeah. more. Into because these are huge, long-term problems that we have known about for years and decades. Yeah. We have tried to hide them. And again, dealing with those problems, saying to people, um, as, as, I forget who said it now, but we must live more simply so others may simply live. Yeah. Very. You're saying you have got to stop doing some of the things you like yeah. For this future decision. So that's a huge thing, but it's all about uh it's all about uh you know about time, about time, uh, and about what uh, the challenges of dealing
0: with yeah. and the power that time has over yeah. us, you know, is as you were talking about um and I understand completely about making political decisions now that have Mm -hmm. a long-term impact. And if we're honest, um, one party doesn't want to give another party any advantage Mm -hmm. because they don't want to give up any of their power. So what they don't want to do is make an investment Mm. um, that might give the other political party who may be in power um, an advantage over them about you, you it's it's so difficult because actually it, we talk and i think one thing that the cop crisis uh that the energy crisis has brought and cop has into our imaginations is that we've got to work with that power of time that humanity is more important than than the power of um party politics
1: yeah
0: but Then we live in this now, completely 24-hour society where Mm. people want answers now, now, now. You know, I don't think we ever would have, 10 years ago, seen a prime minister being forced to go in the way that Liz Truss was if there wasn't that constant tension being put upon her. And I think you can actually see some of that tension come out in the Romans reading and mm. with Paul's sense of salvation is just round the corner. Mm. You know, Christ is coming back now. So be ready now. Um, and, and it's really hard to fit. To st- it's back to that word, that tension of sitting with something that is. Um, both long term but with an immediacy question mark around it and holding those two things in tension in both our society in our faith and within ourselves because we all change and adapt don't we I I couldn't have imagined something like um, buying something on amazon in the morning to get it in the evening could you imagine that 10 years ago you'd have to wait six months for a video to come out you know
1: between (laughs) cinema
0: release and and video um but now that's that's what we expect now it's where we are isn't it we all change and we all change our kind of what we feel our power is in this that the power is in the now 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 um, but yet we enter this time of waiting in Advent. And I always see as this beautiful reminder um, of the importance of sitting and taking stock and um, and taking that journey every year anew mm-hmm. in light of what's going on with you. Because I think Advent, whilst the story is the same, the meaning is always changes depending on Mm. you know how your year's been i know certainly throughout the pandemic kind of advent took on a whole new meaning to lots of people as did easter um Mm. and i think there's there's some of that in our readings as well in matthew there's that sense of get ready and live ready you know Mm. um You must be ready because I don't know when this is going to happen and you don't know when this is going to happen. And so there's something about a choice there as well, about kind of tackling that tension of the two, of both being ready but also living at the same time.
1: Yeah, yeah. And there's great tension within our faith about living in the moment, but also so so to speak, uh, being a a, a faith that is, you know, uh, millennia old and is looking to the, it should be investing and looking toward the future. Mm. Um, I mean, um, I think that that sort of the the tension about uh, faith and politics, I think one of the roles of Christians in politics is to speak up. For those long-term issues and speak against the short-termism
0: okay uh, yeah
1: that we see in our political life I mean we mentioned in your roundup it's Prisoners Week in Scotland yeah coming up uh, Putney Methodist Church we have a strong link with uh, Wandsworth Prison uh, and one of our members is a, a former chaplain there and there's a charity that we support um, that tries to help people transition out of prison and we pray for prisoners a lot. And we heard about the terrible, terrible situation of prisoners in the pandemic. Um, however bad it was for us, yeah, it was just horrendous for, for yeah. both prisoners and prison staff. Okay.
0: Um,
1: because they were completely locked up. Um, but this is one of those issues where it is our responsibility as Christians to speak up for those who have no voice, and no politician really has any interest in investing in prisons because it gets you nothing. Nobody out there, you you think nobody really cares. Yeah. No votes in looking after prisons, and so what we have now is we have incredibly expensive schools for crime know, famously, it costs more to send a prisoner to prison than it does to send a child to Eton a uh, mm. year. And we by f- failing to invest, by failing to allocate resources, you take low-level criminals mm. who, as we all know, who have come from backgrounds that we as ministers are very familiar with: broken homes, addiction, et cetera, et cetera. You turn them into Confirmed drug addicts usually, yeah. um, and and better criminals, mm-hmm. and the system just goes round and cycles round and round and round. And we as Christians should be saying we believe in justice. That's that's the thing that's usually thrown at us, isn't it? Oh, you just let everybody free. Yeah, yeah. We Believe in justice, but we believe in life after death, and we believe in life before death too. Yeah, and we believe in rehabilitation, and we believe in the chance for a new start. And we believe in investing in people in the long term. Yeah. If you invest now in this person, eventually there will be hope for them. Yeah. And I think it's in those issues. And in, we've talked about in environmental issues a lot. But we as Christians should be saying, no, we believe in the long term. We believe in yeah. a better planet for our for the next generation and the generation after that, because God has given us this plan.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And you know what I would always say to people is: is, is politicians need people like us to speak out. To yeah. Us. All the voices, all that is heard, is is those voices of short-termism, of of, of often of anger and of everything that contradicts Christian values. And yeah. And because the good do not speak out, because the Christian voices are not heard, we assume that everybody is, is not interested in that. And we've seen that with the climate situation, where people yeah. politicians have finally realized that actually a lot of people would support them if they speak yeah. out on these issues. Yeah.
0: Well, it's become such a toxic prospect, hasn't it, now? Yeah. If yeah. you know, if you um believe uh, like as we've said in the long-termism in the in the finding forgiveness in the investment of long-term people and um, you're likely to be called woke or a snowflake or or other such other such terminology that has become part of the public imagination which makes it incredibly divisive um and and almost it is And less so in this country, but certainly in kind of American politics, what it has turned is, is is America as this faith of its own right, that America is almost this religion, that if you're not investing in being American first, then what you are is a woke liberal snowflake Mm -hmm. uh, who is... Uh, kind of rolling over to everybody's wins, as they would say. And always, always, it's harder to love than it is to hate at times. Much, much harder in our society to invest in love than it is to get swept away in short-term notions of what kind of hate and dislike and morality look like now in our very changed society. Um and it it's interesting, Donald Trump's appeared back on Twitter this week. And so we're heading back into this really toxic snapshots of what it is when people don't get what they want, how they widen the agenda so far. I mean you could predict it in the midterm elections that if if any republicans lost that there would it that that would have meant that the ballot was illegal or wrong or you know and but yet if they'd won there's no such questioning <laughs> of any kind of and and so we see this kind of flip flopping back where it's the pressure is on is to be in that immediate space of lashing out when your own agenda isn't met and so i found what you you kind of said about investing in the long term and and our voices being really important in that um really really moving actually it's it, i think you're yeah, absolutely and then, right
1: and we have to be very careful in this country when we see america that is a prediction of the future. Of yeah, how it could
0: always. Be.
1: You know that that, and we've seen we have seen people in in the political sphere. You know, especially those around politicians, the advisors, the people we don't see. You know, they look across the state, uh, across the pond, and they say these things work. Yeah, you know, the ha- the agenda of hatred of division, the rhetoric of that works. It gets votes. And if we are not careful, we will go that way. Yeah. I just want to pick up on one. Coming back, if we can finally our, our, to our readings, <laughs> because we've been, we've got all over. But that word you use, woke, that terrible, yeah. you know that from Romans. Besides this, you know what time it is. How it is now? The moment for you to wake from sleep. And there is so much in in the Advent readings about being awake, oh, uh, yeah. and and in our hymns, in our in our Advent carols, and I would desperate to preach a sermon on, was Jesus woke? Because in the original meaning of that word, and it's been around apparently for decades, it just means you have woken up to the world around you. And that, you know, there is there is something central to Jesus' teachings. Remember, you know, saying to the disciples, could you, could you not stay awake in the Garden of Gethsemane? You know, the idea of waking up and seeing the world as it is, yeah. and 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 not being, you know, rubbing from your eyes all the deceptions of this world and the lies of the devil and all the rest of it. Jesus was really telling people to wake up.
0: Yeah.
1: And within the, you know, the apocalyptic tradition, we have that idea of pulling back the curtain and saying, this is, wake up, this is how the world is, this is what's really happening. Yeah. So, I would be very controversial and say I think Jesus I think Jesus was probably woke as well. But-
0: I think, I mean, looking at Isaiah, good grief,
1: that's
0: yeah. woke. You know, <laughs> they "shall beat their swords into plowshares." Yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, and you imagine, you know, how we talk about guns and, and in America and stuff like mm-hmm. that. That idea of taking your guns and turning them into something peaceful. I, I think Isaiah, we, we hear the wokeness there of God as well.
1: <laughs> I, would, I wouldn't like to have called Isaiah woke to his face, I don't think, but I
0: think I'm you're not. right.
1: <laughs>
0: but just the idea of turning turning our weapons into peace, you know, and um, the spears into pruning hooks, that, that nations can come together, that god is not there for any kind of particular one that all the nations shall stream to it um and and how that in through advent and through jesus actually comes to pass is is again that both that longevity of how long these, these things take um and and the choices that we must make to be long-term with it, to walk those paths long-term and to give up the things that are going on on the kind of the cross-sections of, of paths around us, um, that it is a choice and it is a decision uh, to to work for peace, to work towards uh, a a an earth where people are going to be able to inhabit it for generations to come. These will take choices and long-term dedication to do so.
1: And I think that idea of peace, peace is something that we talk about so easily and so lightly. It takes a huge amount of work over the long term to build peace it does you, you know, we look at those moments in history where peace has come about true peace it has taken so much sacrifice so much hard work and it takes institutions it takes you know, so much time uh and and we have to be committed to it over the long yeah. time long yeah. term. and you know we and and but war takes a minute so to speak to start um
0: absolutely yeah yeah well jeffrey thank you so much for joining us uh and good luck uh for the next season which i think comes out january sometime it begins doesn't it so there's a break now for
1: big shoes to fill and and thank you (laughs) for, for for you know, for guiding us through these last few months. And I hope you hope you've enjoyed the time.
0: Oh, I've loved it. I've I've really loved it. But it's kind of as I've been saying, I've got a master's dissertation to write. But now <laughs> oh, needs oh, Lord, that hey. now needs my attention.
1: Come, <laughs> um, now is the time. The time, the, the time. <laughs> now is definitely got <laughs> the, to be the time. The day so. draws near. <laughs> And you are nearer to your deadline than when you awoke this morning.
0: Yes, and the hour of it is definitely known. So (laughs) thank you so much, Geoffrey. It's been so lovely. And and I'll be praying for you. uh, And have a lovely Christmas when it
1: comes.
0: Yeah, and you, and you. And to all our listeners, if you have enjoyed this episode of Politics in the Bullpit, please leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts and share this episode with your friends. We do love to have an ongoing conversation with our listeners about faith and politics. So even though we're on a break, please we encourage you to still do join in on Twitter uh, with our handle at pulpit underscore politics or using the hashtag politics in the pulpit and on our Facebook community which you can access through the Joint Public Issues Facebook page and on their website, jointpublicissues.org.uk. And so let's go into both our politics and our pulpits with this blessing. May you be anointed with God's spirit as you bring good news to the poor, proclaim release to the captives, help people to see the world truthfully and let the oppressed go free. Amen.